0: Our passage this morning contains the fourth list of names so far in the book of Nehemiah. The list begins in verse, 20, uh, in verse 4 through 24, and it's a list of names and families who volunteered to move back into the city of Jerusalem. And then from verses 25 through the end of the chapter, we're given a list of towns and villages where most of the people lived this is the fourth list another list of names in the old testament and it goes on into the new testament and if we're not careful we will tend to over overlook these lists and we'll think of them as not as inspired as the rest of scripture but lists in the bible are important they tend to be difficult in reading them, and I can attest that they have names that are hard to pronounce, but they're in the Bible for a reason, and we shouldn't skipped over them. While we may be tempted to, these lists are just as inspired as the rest of God's Word. God is telling us something in chapter 11 here. The list of names at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel is another list, and it shows that lists are important. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, it shows the the list of Jewish ancestry of Jesus proving the prophecy of the Messiah coming from the Jews. The list of names here in Nehemiah 11 have a redemptive purpose for the people of Israel. The city of Jerusalem is being repopulated. God intends to fulfill his promise of restoring his people and the city in which he dwells. You'll remember that in Nehemiah, that Nehemiah had come back because of what he'd heard about Jerusalem. He'd asked the Persian king to go back and rebuild the city, and he first focused on the walls. He had the people work with. A trowel in one hand, you'll remember, and a sword in the other. Because the defenses were still down and there was threat of opposition. They had to be ready for an attack at any moment. When they completed the work on the wall, and that wall that surrounded all around the city, when they completed that and they reinstalled the gates, we're told in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, this is what, what we're told. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And then you'll remember that a geological record had been found that listed the names of the families who had come back previously. And Nehemiah kind of goes off into the background a little bit for the next few chapters, doesn't he? Ezra the priest comes to the forefront and he, he gathers the people when they're, when they're gathered, and the people ask Him to bring out the Word. And what happens next is can only be described as a genuine spiritual revival. This is more than a building project that's going on here in Nehemiah. The people ask Ezra to have a public reading of God's Word. For the next month or so, the days are full of of God's Word being read and worshipped by the people. And as more is read, the people hear once again how great and awesome God is and about the corruption of sin and God's judgment of it. They also hear how merciful God is. How merciful He is and who forgives all who repent. This caused the people to engage in a covenant renewal with God, giving themselves wholeheartedly to God. There's a rejoicing in God's faithfulness and a communal repenting that continues among the people. And now in chapter 11, Nehemiah comes back on the scene and he comes back to this theme of God repopulating the city of Jerusalem. The city has been rebuilt. The people are experiencing spiritual renewal. But a city needs people who will live in it. More importantly, in the city is God's holy temple. The temple, God's holy dwelling, ought to have a people who call that city home. You'll notice there in verse 1 of our text, Jerusalem is called the holy city. Different from all the other cities in Israel, now called Judea. Jerusalem is different than all the other cities throughout Judea and even the world. Because it was God's city. He had decided to put His name there. His glory would shine outward to the world from Jerusalem, he said. It would be from Jerusalem that God would be worshipped and sought after. As a city, Jerusalem needed leaders and priests and Levites, temple servants and guards for protection and gatekeepers and, of course, people. And that's what we have listed here in chapter 11. During all of this rebuilding... Most of the people had lived out in the countryside. No one wanted to move back into the city. Even though the walls had been rebuilt, the temple had been rebuilt, much of it still laid in ruin and there was rabble all throughout the city. But God is calling His people back. He wants them to live and serve Him there and... And the people are willing to go. Now hearing what's happened to these people, their souls are awakened to God's glory. They've been renewed to worship based on God's word. And that brings joy to their hearts. They're willing to move even from their home previously where there's much land and farming. They're committed to building a community that puts God first in everything, even though it was dangerous. There's opposition on all sides. Hearing this, I want to ask you a question this morning. How far are you willing to go in your service to God? What are you prepared to do in this life so that Christ is proclaimed and that God is glorified? Don't need to answer that out loud. Just think about that question. God already knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're willing to do. He knows if you're sincere and committed to His name. But I want to take that question even further and ask us as a church, as a body, together how far are we willing to go together in our service to God? Do we want to be a people who's committed to building a community that honors Him no matter what? Are we serious about doing our part in the Great Commission? To do our part here in King George to make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that He's commanded. Are we willing to not only tell others about Jesus, But are we prepared to serve our King and help others to learn what a faith-filled life is really about? To live in joyful obedience and seek after Christ in His holiness. Are we willing to do that? A grace-filled church will answer that and say yes. We as a church, we have answered Yes, this is why God has put us here, right here in Dahlgren, to advance the gospel upward in our lives, helping each other to grow in Christ, and to advance the gospel outward toward others, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, being God's instrument in people's lives for His glory. We've said yes to being a community that honors Him, regardless of the sacrifice, no matter The cost. We want to be a people who will go and do and serve and live so that Christ is worshiped, so that his light shines in the darkness of Dahlgren. So what does it take for this to happen? What does it take There are lessons and truths we can glean from what happened here in the text. The city is rebuilt. God is rebuilding the people for a purpose though. They're being reshaped and retooled for a new focus. What kind of people do we need to be? How do we need to be shaped and retooled for this to take place here? Many of us, This morning have experienced spiritual renewal. Each one of us here who have received God's grace. It's it's a miracle that we're sitting here as followers of Jesus Christ. Dead men do not choose life in and among ourselves. God has awakened us to who He is. He's made us new. He's given us purpose and joy. And He's put us here with a mission. He's put us here to serve Him. See, our text tells us we need to be a people who's not only identified as a Christian, but as a people who have three distinct marks about us. These marks were characteristics of God's people in chapter 11, and they haven't changed. The marks of God's people haven't changed. God is looking for a people Who are committed to building a community where these marks, with these marks, so that he gets the glory and his gospel kingdom advances. First, for God's kingdom to advance upward and outward, we need to be a faith-filled people. Draw your attention again to verse 1. We first need to be a faith-filled people. In verse 1, we're told that lots were cast to select one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem. Now how does that point to faith-filled people? You see, all throughout the Old Testament until the day of Pentecost, casting lots was used to discern God's will. Since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come and we don't need to cast lots any further, We have the Holy Spirit who, who dwells within us and we have the completed word of God and the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us according to the truth of God's word. But up until that time, up until the day of Pentecost, casting lots was a way to trust in the sovereignty of God. They believed providence would determine the outcome of casting the lots. They were surrendering to God's sovereign will, not their preferences or what they thought best. They believed what is said in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That takes faith. It takes faith to believe That God is in control of everything. God would determine who would be chosen to live in the city. And they cast lots. They had faith that God was in control of those lots cast. The outcome was His determination. They believed that God was in absolute control. That's that's faith. They were full of faith in God. A people who are building community that puts God first, where He's the focus and the admiration and the joy of life, have to be a faith-filled people. Without faith, it ends up not being about God. It ends up being about the people and their desires. God becomes a means to an end to whatever they want. Faith says that God determines the outcome. He chooses who it is who will be part of the community that lives in the city. Faith says God's glory will be on display in our lives so that He is seen as magnificent and glorious. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about God. And God will determine the outcome. We have to be a people of faith. The very essence of who we are as God's people comes from God, We look to Him for guidance. Our strength as a community is not in our numbers. It's not in gathering more people. It's in our God in who we trust. We follow what He says. In our day, there are lots of people who acknowledge God. Just last week in home group, we were discussing about sharing the gospel of Jesus with others, and we identified three types of Of people that we will encounter as we go out and share the good news. When we go to people's homes, we'll encounter one of three. Some just simply won't be interested in the good news, they just won't care. They will be indifferent to spiritual matters. They will think that what we're trying to give them is escapism, or they're just not concerned about eternity. The hereafter is not today, so they, they just won't pay it any mind. They won't give it two thoughts. Others are distracted. They're so full of what they think matters today, what's significant to them today, they haven't thought about God. They haven't thought about the need for grace and forgiveness. And it's not that they're, they're not interested. They just don't have the time. Both of those types of people are not filled with faith. They need the gospel told to them. They need someone who will interrupt their daily schedule so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and understand what faith is. But there's a third kind of person, quite possibly more dangerous to themselves than the other two. There are those who claim to be Christian, but there's no fruit. Jesus talks about knowing false teachers by their fruit. There are good fruits and bad fruits in a person's life. Good fruit comes from a good and healthy tree. Bad fruit comes from a bad, diseased tree. A teacher who is of Christ will have good fruit because they've been grafted into the vine their lives will resemble Christ. And Paul says in Romans what I think connects this about the good fruit and the bad fruit to what we're looking at in Nehemiah this morning. Please turn with me to to Romans chapter 8 and we'll see how Paul connects the two. If you're using the church Bible this morning it's page 944. Romans 8 beginning in verse 8 It says those who are in the flesh cannot please God You however are not in the flesh but in the spirit If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you there's the indwelling of the spirit for for believers So then brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, or we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul is saying to have a life that's guided by the Spirit, that has turned and continues to turn from sin and seeks to live not by the flesh, but by God. That's the kind of life Christians have. And that is what these people have done in Jerusalem, isn't it? We just walked through that briefly, and we went through it in the past couple of weeks. Their eyes were open to more of God. The Word was open to them and they had conviction of sin and they repented of sin and they're turning toward God and putting all their their trust and their hope in God. They've encountered the living God and His grace has poured out on them and they have repented and they're seeking Him in His Word. They're trusting Him in His ways. They want to live for Him. This is what it means to be a faith-filled people. It's not knowing a set of facts. It's not going to church. That's not proof. Reading your Bible and praying are not proof. Those who claim to be Christian by doing these things, but if they don't have good fruit, a life that is guided by the Spirit according to His Word, they don't turn from sin, they seek after the flesh and not God. They're not Christian, is what the Bible says. So many people are like that out there today. We need to be a people who are filled with faith that puts all our trust, all our hope in God because of who He is and what He's done for us in Christ Jesus. The Messiah hadn't come yet in their day, but He has come in our day, and that's who we have faith in. Next, as God's people who are committed to building God-honoring community, we have to be a willing people. We first have to be a faith-filled people. We also have to be a willing people. Please look with me at verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. From our faith stems a willingness to trust God and to do what He has said. The men who were chosen by lots volunteered to go. They accepted it gladly. It was the will of God for them to go and no one had to coerce them. They said, this is God's will, so let's go. God's glory is seen in the people's willingness. Now some scholars believe That this group in verse 2 is different than the ones in verse 1. That those who cast lot was one group and those who volunteered was another. Regardless though, they saw it as a privilege to go and live in the holy city, in God's city. They were willing to experience the hardship of living in the city that very few wanted occupied. There were enemies of God that wanted this to fail. These volunteers did not care about that though. They trusted in God's providence. The fear of attack didn't change their minds. The threats didn't stop them. They wanted to go. They willingly left their previous homes to go live in God's city. Their thoughts were not about pleasing themselves, it was about being useful to God. Do you have a willingness to be useful to God? If you were asked, or better yet, would you volunteer to serve God in such a way and see it as a privilege? Does your willingness include to build a strong community that honors God? Are we as a church willing to do what it takes for God to be honored in our area? You see, church planting is not easy if you haven't seen already. Church planting is not easy. There is hardship. We have an enemy that does not want us to succeed. Jerusalem was not a thriving city. It was barren, rubble, everywhere, I said. They knew... That they were moving there not for a vacation. They were moving into Jerusalem to work. And they went gladly. They knew that God was honored with a committed people who demonstrated that He was worth it all. Their hearts were full of love for God and it overflowed into the city. That's how we as a church ought to be our love for our Savior and what He's done for us in standing in our place on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin, thanking Him for His love and mercy toward us. And as we truly come to understand that love and kindness, our love becomes full of compassion for others and willing to do whatever He asks us so that He's honored and His gospel kingdom advances. In the last two, almost two and a half years, when it when it gets hard, or when I've been begin to think of how long and how hard this road is with planting this church, I remember Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away; our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't lose heart looking at dogren and seeing all the hard work ahead. God has called us to a good work how blessed we are to be a people He has chosen to make Himself known here in Dahlgren in King George County. The hardship we endure doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. But it's not our glory. It's the glory of God and of Christ in which we share. The glory that's always God's alone. He shares it with us through His Son, His glory that is life-giving and gives us eternal eyes to see and to bask in that glory of His. All that's here is temporary. It won't last. The good and the bad, the comfort and the hardship, it all will pass away one day. For now, God has given it all to us so that we will willingly go and make disciples teaching them His commands. And so that when we do, and as we do this and we experience this, His joy will fill us and propel us further. And we will be witnesses of Him saving the lost. And one day, He promises that we will be in His Shekinah glory, like the people in Jerusalem who were near the temple, except we will get to go into the Holy of Holies and experience that glory. Thirdly, we need to be a serving people. We need to be a faith-filled people. We need to be a willing people. We also need to be a serving people. It begins with faith and then willingness. Belief in action with love in our hearts. And then we do what He's called us to do. The people went willingly in faith to complete the task of filling the city with new life. It was a hard task, but God was honored and they did it together. Notice with me, notice with me that it is a diverse ministry. Those who went into the city were leaders and priests, temple servants, gatekeepers and common people they're described as valiant men men of valor of valor among was known for one of them was known for giving thanks for leading praise others were singers in the house of god it wasn't just one man doing this in jerusalem nehemiah couldn't do it alone god brought a people together in order to live and serve together and notice what all of their service was focused on Worship. All the people from the leader, all throughout the temple servants, down to the common people, their focus of service was on worship. And that's like us today. When we say we want to go out into the community and share the good news of Jesus Christ, it's so that people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and come and worship Him. One ultimate goal. They sacrificed what they endured was not for their sake. All their hard work and their dedication was geared toward one ultimate goal. That God would be worshipped and adored. Ordinary people who God chose to use to display His glory and make Himself known throughout the lands. Do you have this desire? Do you have a desire to go anywhere and do anything so that God will be glorified? Is our church willing to serve in any capacity so that Christ is worshipped? You see, you and I, those of us who are part of this church, have the privilege of serving our King and helping to fill the new Jerusalem one day. That's what we are called to. That's what the Great Commission is all about. is filling the new Jerusalem full of worshippers to God. In Ephesians 4, we're told that it's, it is what's built up within the church. How this happened, it is built up and it grows as each member of the church works together in love and grace. Not just one person, not just one family. All of us together, united in purpose and love with an eagerness in that grace we've received so that we become more like Christ in every way and others come to know Him and worship Him too. That is a beautiful picture. It is beautiful and satisfying when God's people are unified together in faith and love for Christ and they have a willingness to do whatever it takes so that He's glorified. These marks need to be in each and every one of us. These marks need to identify us as God's people. It needs to be our corporate identity. We don't live and work how we once did before coming to Christ. It's a different life. It's a different work. Now, because of our sins being forgiven, since Christ is our Lord and Savior, we serve with eternity in mind in all that we do. Regardless of the day of the week, regardless of where we are, we have eternity in mind, receiving His grace in love and sharing it with others. And one day, that New Jerusalem will be full of people here in Dahlgren. Do you realize that? Not only will we be in the New Jerusalem as we go and we seek to fill the city, you'll have people of Dahlgren right here Our neighbors in King George County, they will be part of that. Let's pray.